Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Let's pray together now before we hear our gospel lesson. Lord, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you hear our prayers, that you love us. We are now, Lord, two Sundays into this series where we're looking at the big survey we did last year. We're learning all sorts of things about our church family. We know, Lord, that you have drawn us together and that we are a complicated lot but we love each other. We have chosen to hold on to each other. Now we get to understand better how you would have us to do that. We pray for your wisdom and grace, for your love, for the unity of the Spirit that is the bond of peace. We pray now that your Holy Spirit will move in a powerful way to open your living word to us that we may receive with joy what you teach us today. We thank you, Lord. We love you, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mark chapter 3 is our gospel lesson. We're beginning really in the second half of the 19th verse. A lot of stuff happening early in the gospel of Mark. We'll say more about that in just a moment. Let's, Let's hear the word of God together. Then he, Jesus, then Jesus went home, and the crowd came together again. He's been dealing with this crowd so that they could not even eat When Jesus' family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, Jesus has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. That's the devil. He has the devil, and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then, indeed, the house can be plundered. The word of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. Now things are really heating up around the Sea of Galilee for Jesus. He's been busy. Jesus heals people. He teaches with great power. He's casting out evil spirits who, when they come out, are naming him the Son of God. I don't think he's happy about that. He wasn't ready for everybody to know who he was, but that's what's happening. People are paying attention to what's going on with Jesus. 
all around the Sea of Galilee. The religious leaders hear about this, and they grow nervous, irritated, and afraid. Things are getting real for Jesus and his followers. He goes home to get some rest. I think we've all gone home to get rest before. (laughs) We know that feeling, only it doesn't work for Jesus. The people follow him. They press in on him. He can't even eat. His own family shows up. They think he's losing his mind. They're going to try to get him out of there just to kind of protect what little dignity he has left. They're going to just spirit him away. Religious officials come down from Jerusalem, the scribes. They're going to put Jesus in his place. They tell everybody that he's got the devil in him. That's why he's able to cast out all these evil spirits. Jesus gives his house-divided speech. It's a beautiful turn of phrase. A, A house divided against itself cannot stand. That's where Abraham Lincoln got the phrase. Jesus didn't get it from him. He got it from Jesus. That's the first place that it was said. Then... Jesus interprets his own parable, I think, for the benefit of the religious officials. He, he extends his metaphor to this house of a strong man, which no one can plunder or rob without first tying up the strong man. We all get that. You first got to tie up the strong man before you can plunder his house. I wonder, have we in the church been tied up? Sometimes. Have we been tied up? Has a culture which tells us there is no way to disagree Christianly plundered our house? Have we put the ropes on ourselves? Sometimes I think we certainly have. Isn't it silly that the old devil, Beelzebul, could tie up our strong churches by just whispering in ears that people who don't think like I do are bad It is silly, very, very silly indeed, but that and a little fear-mongering have done a whole lot of damage to the body of Christ in the last 10, 15, 20 years. All of a sudden, our churches are fighting each other over doctrine and interpretation as if we're doing the Lord's work in this crusade against anybody who doesn't agree with us. How arrogant, how arrogant is that? What about Matthew 28? The Great Commission, going to all the world, making disciples, baptizing as you go, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. What about the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. What about Matthew 25? Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, heal the sick, visit those in prisoners, tend to those who are lonely. Some say to me, preacher, just leave all of that. Just leave all of that, preacher. We got bigger fish to fry. (laughs) Do we really? Do we really have bigger fish to fry? I think Jesus has been exceptionally clear about what is most important to the body of Christ. And uniformity of thought, other than about that which I have just mentioned, is not on his list. Not anywhere on his list. The world will tell you that it is. The church world sometimes will tell you that it is. It is one of the things that keeps us tied up so that our house can be plundered over and over again. The survey that we've been discussing now for two weeks helps us to see just how tied up we are. This was a survey of us, our people, only our people that we did about a year ago. The survey helps us see how tied up we are, but by the grace of God, it also helps us to see how God might 
untie us so that we can be stronger together. A house not divided against itself. Now, there's a novel idea for 2023. Last Sunday, I mentioned that we discovered three groups of people in our church. Chris Lynn mentioned the same thing last Sunday. We, we looked at a lot of things. We looked at the way we understand our faith, the way we use the Bible, the way we understand our church, political ideology, social issues, how long we've been in the church, how old we are, our ability to disagree and remain in relationship with each other. We looked at how we reason through complicated social and political issues. We looked at all of these things, and these three very unique, very interesting groups emerged from the data. We named them last week the Advocates. You remember this, the Advocates? the defenders, and the reliables, the advocates, the defenders, and the reliables. When we start to describe these groups, which we're going to do in just a moment, two of them anyway, you're probably going to identify yours pretty quickly. You may just want to jump up and down and shout, don't do that. Just keep your seat when we go through, go through there. Remember, that not any one of us is all of one of these groups all of the time. Each of us is actually a bit of a mixture of all three, but these groups do stand out and exist in our community of faith. Today, we'll be talking about two of the groups, the two which most get on each other's nerves, <laughs> and yet the two which we have come to understand, the two which need each other the most. We'll save our third group, the Reliables, for next Sunday. The median age of these two groups that we talk about this week is the same. Both have the same median age, 55. They're people of all ages in both groups. In fact, they have an almost identical age profile, but the median age is 55. Let's begin with the advocates. Can you say the advocates? Okay. Socially, if we just look at some social identity pieces for the advocates, you'll find these characteristics to be true about the advocates. These folks care so very deeply about the community around us. They do. They are just full of care and concern for the community around us. In their personal ministries and in their jobs, Monday through Friday, they are likely to be advocating for marginalized and vulnerable communities, including the LGBT plus community. They're, they're going to be working with all sorts of marginalized and vulnerable communities in our community. The third thing, they're likely to be very progressive in their political views and thoughts on social issues. These are the advocates. Though, I want to say, that's not true in every case. There, there was actually quite a lot of variance in this particular group of people. You had folks who were very progressive in views on social issues. Uh, I'm sorry, you had folks who met this this criteria, but who were actually more conservative on views politically and social issues, but still were advocates. It kind of spanned, spanned the gamut there. As we think about their faith, these folks are likely to study the Bible regularly and read it for devotional purposes, but they probably will not have what, what is called a literal view of Scripture. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. They do trust the Bible and believe the Bible, but they're very careful about interpretation of the Bible. These are the advocates. Uh, 
They tend to be more winter Christian in their outlook on faith and life. Again, from last week, winter Christians want to tackle those deep questions about God and human suffering. Where is God in the midst of the mess? Those kinds of things. Their faith grows the more they embrace these questions. They don't mind the questions at all. These folks are usually winter Christians. Some strengths that they have. In meetings, uh, they will challenge the status quo big time. They'll bring fresh ideas, and they will always ask a very important question, who is missing from this conversation? Who is missing from the table as we talk about this thing? These are the advocates. They're going to be thinking about that. They're likely to be very adaptable and very open to change as long as that change suits their mindset. That's important to note for the advocates. If it suits their mindset, they'll be open to that change. They do have some temptations and blind spots that we need to talk about. Some temptations, the first one, uh, they're tempted to trivialize or demonize those who interpret Scripture literally. They're also tempted to be too progressive too quickly. They might leave folks behind as they try to make their progressive journey. The third thing that's a really quite a large temptation is to question so much about so many things that they move to inaction. We've all been there where we just question everything and question and question and question, and ultimately it's just a lot of talk, but nothing actually happens, nothing actually changes. These are their temptations. Some blind spots for advocates. They often need help appreciating tradition and stability, and that help is found in some of these other groups. A second blind spot, though they will tell you that they love the questions and like to stay in the questions and they don't have to have the questions answered, they actually do need answers to certain questions, even when they say they don't. And sometimes we have to help each other realize that and figure that out. The third thing, they need help understanding the other groups. They respect the other groups, maybe more so than reliables and defenders, but they often need help understanding why these other groups think so differently than they do. You're probably already thinking about names to put in this group, some faces you want to call out, maybe call across the room. Don't do that again. Remember, we're not here to pigeonhole anybody. We're here to try to understand our complicated family a little bit more, a little bit more. We're looking in the mirror. This is one of the groups that we see as we look in the mirror. Now let's turn to the next group. The defenders. Can you say that? The defenders. Okay. Some social identity pieces for the defenders. They tend to be part of multiple civic and patriotic organizations. They're very community-minded and feel a great responsibility to give back to their community. They use that language a lot. I'm giving back to my community. They're likely to be proudly conservative in their politics and their understandings of social issues. A third thing that you'll hear, these folks will say, I need to be part of a Bible-believing church. But as we look beneath the data there, we have to acknowledge that to say, I need to be part of a Bible-believing church, defenders often will define that statement in their own way. They, they get to define what is a Bible-believing church. That's how that kind of works in their world. As we think about their faith, some things we observed about their faith from the data, they're likely to read the Bible literally, but most of them will not have been able to read the whole thing. So they, they read it literally, but not the whole thing. The second thing, their daily devotional practice is likely to be focused more on someone else's commentary about the Bible rather than on their own reading and reflection. 
Third thing, they are very likely to be summer Christians in their outlook on faith and life, which again, remembering from last week, means they use their faith to bring certainty and optimism to the world. That's how they use their faith. These are going to be primarily summer Christians. Some strengths, important strengths that they bring, they provide a meaningful anchor to tradition. That's the first strength that they bring. Their optimism is actually a wonderful strength. They believe God can do anything, and that is contagious and helpful in times of stress. The third thing, their stress on biblical foundations is essential to a healthy, Christ-centered church. It really is. It it can be a gift to the rest of the church. These are the defenders. Uh, They do have some temptations and blind spots that we need to acknowledge. Some temptations to lean into their certainty and optimism to the exclusion of or ignoring of people hurting around them. It gets back to those rose-colored glasses. Sometimes they have to have a little help taking off the rose-colored glasses to see that not everything is great for everybody. That has to happen. They can be quick to argue rather than dialogue because they are certain that they are right. They see no reason to dialogue. They just want to argue until everyone else comes to their same conclusion. A third temptation, they sometimes get into this uh, sort of a complex where they feel like they aren't being heard even though they often have the most powerful voice. Sort of a strange dynamic that happens. They aren't being heard even though they have the most powerful voice. Usually this is because people aren't agreeing with them. And so they feel like, well, you didn't hear me and you didn't change your mind. If you heard me, you would have changed your mind. That's not the same thing as here. Ivy understands what that is there. That's, that's how that works. A fourth temptation to question the legitimacy of the faith of those who don't interpret the scriptures like they do. That's a serious temptation for this group. Some blind spots In their minds, church should provide certainty and comfort in the midst of so many societal changes. That's what they feel like the church is supposed to do, provide certainty and comfort. This isn't the biblical mandate for the people of God, but it is what they feel ought to be the biblical mandate. The third, a second blind spot, they need help having reasonable and respectful discourse with others who have different views. And third, finding empathy when talking about social issues. Those are the defenders. Now, we started with these two groups because, as you might imagine, this is one of the places where we get most tied up. These two groups have almost nothing in common other than their median age. They do both value something called in-group loyalty, which is a measure of appreciating your belonging to the larger whole. But even there, the advocates tend to value the larger church family while the defenders value that part of the church family which agrees with them. So there's a difference even in in that place. You may wonder, as I have wondered many times, where is the hope in this? (laughs) It can be hard to find, but, but, if you think about this, a healthy church trying to be faithful to God's mission needs the wonderful strengths of both groups. And to be quite frank and plain spoken about this, both groups desperately need each other to help them not become the rosy red hind end of the body of Christ. Can I get an amen on that, please? No, I did not get an amen. Okay, well, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. It feels easier and safer to lean into our strengths 
and to ignore our weaknesses rather than to let someone who threatens us help with our blind spots so that we can all become the people God has created us to be. But if we are to get untied and stop the plundering of God's house, that's exactly what we must do. We must let our sisters and brothers help us with our blind spots. That takes tremendous humility and a willingness to be in deep conversation with each other as we journey through life and faith together. Next week, we're going to learn about the reliables. The reliables are a bridge group between the two that we heard about today. Thank goodness we found a bridge. I think that when we pull all of these groups together, you will see that God is inviting us into something really beautiful that can bless the whole world. If you're willing to do this hard work, you'll get to be part of it. And I am convinced it's going to be incredible. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen.